0: back into another special episode of whisper in the wings we have a full house today uh, in store for you we've got a great and timely show to talk about joining us today we have emily hartford who is the co-writer and director ned hartford who is our co-writer and composer lyricist we also have cast members sheree davis and rebecca pena and all these amazing people have come to us to talk to us about flux theater ensembles metra a climate revolution play with songs which is playing october 28th through november 12th at the abrams art center so everyone welcome 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 pull up a chair grab Thank a drink you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much andrew this is amazing to have just all of you here to talk about this important piece of theater. Um, and this, I mean, this fascinating piece, uh, the little synopsis that I was sent, I, I got three sentences in, so I was like, done, wanna know more, you know, it's, you guys are really working on something really important. So, um, Emily, Ned, let me start with you by asking you to tell us a bit about the show.
1: Yeah, well, I could, I I really like our show blurb, so I could kind of share what the show is about through that, which is to say the year is 2045, despite lip service toward climate action, the fossil fuel industry continues to thrive, and, you know, shit's bad. The rich folk are choosing to ignore it, they're insulated in air-conditioned bubble communities, and they're cont- continuing to enjoy all the trappings of regular society and in a roadside bar on the outside a revolution is brewing a movement of collective power and a group of revolutionaries who include a hedge fund manager a journalist and an ancient tree nymph are tapping into a mythic and elemental magic that will demand that the powerful break the cycle of destruction or face its consequences
0: Uh, see see listeners i told you this is this is a great show like the minute i read all that i was like yeah, done. Done. <laughs> Ned, let me ask you, how did you you two come up with this show?
2: Come up with the idea of it? I think I think Emily could start off on that one because it, it originally evolved out of an idea she had.
1: Yeah, so um I was really looking to um uh devise, work with an ensemble to um to kind of grow a concept from first seed to a full-length piece. And um, I went back to Ovid's Metamorphoses, which has always been um, a really um, fascinating work to me, but also a frustrating work because of the way that um, women in it are often, the violence against women in it is are often plot devices. And um, and I decided to, to get in there and, and try to reclaim what was really special about, about these transformative stories to me. Um, and I picked one, which is the myth of Erisichthon, in which this king cuts down a sacred grove and then Ceres curses him with unending hunger. Um, and he has this daughter named Metra. Who um, gains the gift of shape shifting in order to um, escape when her father tries to sell her off for food? Um, and so that's that's the myth. And you know, through I'm a creative partner with Flux Theater Ensemble, and um, through those relationships and the spaces for development that Flux creates, I gathered artists and started playing with that story and started. Um, you know, entering into all of the conversations that that the metaphors in that story generate and and Ned was a part of all those workshops. And as a result of those workshops, Ned wrote um, this handful of just incredible songs. Um, And after he wrote those songs, it was, um, you know, that's what really launched us on this partnership Ned is a, is a composer and a playwright, um, and I had never written a, a full-length piece before, and so this was a really new collaboration for us, and so we we jumped in and, and decided to write the thing together.
0: And we're still together as a couple. <laughs> <laughs> you made it to the other side. It was okay. <laughs> well, going on that, you two, what was it like developing it? you know, into, into a full show?
1: Um, you know, it was our main, uh, we had a draft of it before the pandemic hit and Flux was actually, you know, developing it and planning to produce it then. But, um, but it was our main pandemic project, I would say. Um, and, and it's an intense thing to, um, to try to write somewhat something with with your partner. Um, and it wasn't a, a, col- a type of collaboration either one of us had really done before. Yeah, you wanna talk about
2: it? I'm a cranky collaborator. So um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so uh, we, we worked on the script and uh, I wrote a whole series of songs and then it became apparent, uh, you know, I, I, I write musicals and, uh, I wanted something, I, I, one of the reasons I, I really latched onto this project with Emily is that it, I wanted to write something that was small with just a couple of singers and one instrumentalist on stage so we could get it up more quickly than the the glacial pace of most other musicals because every step of the way the big musical is a ton of money. Well, we wanted some, and this was a really important theme for us. So we wanted to get something done that could also get put up quickly. But as we were working, the song started expanding uh, out from just being songs to spoken word and long stretches of the show that now have uh, really intense uh, soundscaping underneath it. And um, I have this really elaborate stereo setup for my guitar with amps, and I use all these effects and Hopefully it creates a a really engaging world with with just one instrumentalist.
1: Ned will be a one-man band on stage.
0: That's so cool. Now I want to bring our cast members in on this. Um, Sheree, why don't I start with you? What was it like developing your character and your role in the show?
3: Awesome, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Um, So I play Corey, who is a aforementioned hedge hedge fund manager. imagine coming from a um, experience, especially uh, as a youngest (laughs) Black hedge fund manager, um, coming from an experience, sort of a, a, a world experience of trying to fit into a corporate system. And when that doesn't work, and when the callings of what's, needed in the world in terms of climate change, in terms of global oppression, uh, when that sort of comes up in her existence and when that comes up in her life, like what does she choose to do? Um, and use, how do you use those skills and how do you sort of become a different person using those skills and your strengths in order to um, to fulfill a larger goal on a larger role. Um, so coming into it, I was really interested in storytelling as a storyteller, as an actor and a writer, um, and a poet myself, like I've always been interested in the way we tell stories and retell stories. And so entering Corey, um, we have a character who's basically rewriting her story. Everything that her her life was supposed to be, she's now doing something completely different with her skill set. So um, entering it as a rewriting of your own story was sort of my entry point.
0: Yeah, very cool. And then our other cast member, uh, Rebecca Pena. How about you? What was it like developing your role?
4: Hi, awesome! Very happy to be here. Um, it's been. Really thrilling, um, in the way of I play the mystical tree nymph. Um, so being able to have that element of you know, mystic magic, being able to have lived for this long and to have experienced the earth throughout this amount of time, to have seen and experienced everything she has, um, it's been really wonderful tracking how she walks through the world at this point in time, Um, her spectrum of anger and with anger and hatred, knowing that that comes from love and hope um, and tapping into not only her drive to change things to an extremity, um, but also in connecting with the other characters in this play. How does she find her her playfulness again? How does she find her hope? How does she find her love that she's, you know, lost track of, unfortunately? Um, Yeah, so it's been very thrilling to track and exciting to like find the ground rules of, you know, how does a nymph live in 2045?
0: (laughs) That's so much fun. Um, Let me ask the group as a whole. And I'm gonna go back to Ned and Emily for this to start. What is the message or thought you're hoping um, audiences will take away from your show?
1: Right. Um, I think it's um, it's two sides of the same coin. The first side is um, we wanna create a conversation around climate justice that gets at um, the root of it, which is that, um, the The systems fueling continued climate catastrophe are the same systems that are um, oppressing people uh, globally and that and that the climate crisis is a crisis of hoarding wealth. Um, and that any conversations about climate justice should be based around how we shift that status quo and how we, Transform the systems that we're living under um, to be more equitable and to and to remove remove that hoarding. Um, and the other side of that coin is that we want the show to be um, a portal for audiences to think about transformative change. You know, to 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 show a story that is about how possible transformative change is um, and to give an audience something to be excited about and something to be hopeful about. Um, And we're also as a part of the project partnering with climate organizations so that the play can be a connection point to audiences um, if they want to find ways to enter climate justice movements.
0: Amazing, important too, so important.
1: Okay. Yeah and and could I just mention actually one of our partners um, we're um we're part of the Stop the Money Pipeline Coalition's Blame Wall Street project so um listeners could go to blamewallstreet.org um and Metra is an action on their action map um, which I'm very proud and excited about and folks should check out their work.
0: Very cool. Ned anything to add to that?
2: Well, uh, just a little more in relation to the play, working off what Emily said. The idea of, of climate justice is that there are systems of harm that exist that we live within as part of the structure of our society that have created the climate crisis and keep us from addressing it. And so in a sense, so we use this myth from Ovid's Metamorphosis, but in relation to climate change, in our in our country alone, we have myths that we tell each, uh, ourselves about our country because of the way we structure our society. Myths of of capitalism, of uh, uh, that America has a, a divine right, and that you know some some people greed is good, things like that. Um, there's a lot of myths we tell ourselves in our society, and we need new myths. We need better myths. That's it.
4: Rebecca,
0: how about you? Is there a message you're hoping the audiences will take away?
4: Yeah, um, it's totally piggybacking off of what Emily and Ned said, as well as, you know, I hope people leave feeling invigorated, if not deepening conversations, I hope at least beginning conversations, beginning action. Um, and I hope also leaving a little more empathetic. I think we're all experiencing this world and it's it's hard. So I hope we leave with perspective and empathy for people and knowing that you know, how we treat people is vital moving forward.
0: I think we all could use more empathy for each other. If, if anything these last few years have taught us, we all could use a lot more of that. <laughs> and then Sheree, how about you? Uh, what's the message you're hoping that the audience will take away?
3: I was going to say I'm vigorously shaking my head because <laughs> I like, think the conversations around community in the show are really impactful. I think um, when we think about climate change and think about climate injustice, oftentimes um, I think the instinct is to think about these larger things that you don't individually have any control over, right? Where it's just like, I don't have any control over like the temperature or like I don't have control over like that piece of plastic that ended up in the ocean. Well. Maybe not, right? Maybe you yourself don't have an individual sort of like action that you have done, but you might be a part of communities that your day-to-day action does shape The world. Um, I think so much of the show is not just about right, the global sort of conversation, the effect, but it's also about the individual within the community and how much impact the individual within the community can have. Um, And so I hope that when people leave the show or throughout the show and, and, and and take those messages back to their own communities, I hope that the conversation is about, well what is my individual impact? And also, what, is, what can I do with other people? Um, because sometimes, you know, one person might feel not, you might not feel strong as an individual, but as a community, many, many hands give us strength. So um, yeah, I hope people are reinvigorated in thinking about their uh, community's roles in solving a lot of these issues.
0: You'd mentioned that the, there have been a few readings and workshops of this. So, how long have you been working on this show?
1: Overall, about five years. Yeah, from yeah. from first first workshops experimenting with it.
0: Very cool. So, this is—I mean, this has been a long, the <laughs> long road of, of bringing this baby to the stage.
2: You know, I—you know—I'd say it's a long road, but so much of the work does not get done, really. Uh, as far as the script, until you're in rehearsal, working with actors. And, uh, or if you're at Playwrights Verizons, then you get that one month of uh, previews that you get to keep revising the script where you're in front of audiences. But the the work that actors do on the script, finding their motivation, finding their arcs, they are like bloodhounds finding out things that are not right, that are not true, and it's a, such a gift when you're in a room with the actors who are like the actors we have in our cast, who are not just stellar actors, but really stellar, stellar dramaturgs in their own right. We In the cast, we have one of the best playwrights in New York City, Corinna Schulenberg, and we've got Cherie, who's an incredible writer, Beck's input has been wonderful. Uh, Richard Watson, who's uh, out of town for just a few days, his input has been tremendous. It's such a gift. We've gotten so much work done on the pa- in just the past two, three weeks on this show, really due to the incredible collaborative effort of everyone involved.
0: Well, rounding out the first half of this uh, interview, I wanna ask to the group, um, who do you hope have access to the show? And why don't i start actually down with sheree with you who do you hope have access to the
3: show Ooh, that's a big question because of course especially when we talk about the um <laughs> the conversations of community in new york and how inequitable oftentimes the access to theater can be despite how um democratic and powerful theater can be as a form um, I hope that communities of color have access to this show. I hope that um, young people have access to this show, especially in the conversation of, well, what power do I have, (laughs) right? Young folks can oftentimes feel very disempowered when it comes to what is happening in the world that has been shaped by generations and generations before they even were a thought. and so I do hope that young folks um, are coming into the space. I hope that folks of color are coming into the space because this is an intersectional conversation in terms of how climate change affects communities of color and in particular, um, uh, economically disparaged communities. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that the communities that oftentimes are not the face of climate uh, justice are, have access to this.
0: Well said. Uh, Rebecca, let's go to you.
4: <laughs> Following that just complete truth, Sheree just dropped. <laughs> um, it's it's exactly what she said, um, removing the elitism that unfortunately embeds a lot of theater. Um, and I'm very proud to be a part of Flux on this and how they're making it accessible to audiences. Um, I hope communities of color are coming. I hope we do our work in extending the invitation where it needs to be. Um, I also hope that you know everyone who wants to come is always welcome in what we're sharing the space and having this conversation to do. Um, I feel like that's a big thread of the play of how do we all come together and work together even from different viewpoints or different perspectives. Um, I hope we expand upon that. Um, and yes, completely retweeting everything Sheree just said. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: then up to our, our co-writers, Emily and Ned, what, what about you? Who do you hope have access?
1: Yeah, well, um yes, cosign and echo um everything Sheree and, and Beck said. Um and you know and and building on that, I think that the play can be for, you know, anyone who's passionate about climate justice, I think it can be for um, folks who, who are anxious and scared about climate change and, and don't know where to, where to start with the conversation. Um, and then, you know, in terms of access, um, just want to let all of your listeners know um, that Flux um we share our shows through what we call a living ticket program, um, where we've removed any financial transaction to seeing the show. So you can come see the show for free. We want you to come see the show for free. Um, we also invite people who can um, to make a contribution that um, that they feel is, um, that they feel a, a, a rate that works for them or a meaningful, a meaningful contribution for them. Um, and we talk about, you know, through our open book program, we share, you know, where the expenses are for the show. You know, uh, the vast majority of, of Flux's expenses on this production are people, which is something that's, you know, paying people, which is something that's really important to us. Um, and so we, you know, we kind of show that in in reserving the ticket. And if you have the means to do so and would like to help make this production and, and future productions possible, we really welcome that. But the main point is, um you know anyone can see this show for um for free and um and we really encourage folks to do that
0: wow that's incredible uh ned did you want to yeah, add I anything know.
2: to it yeah i do uh most most productions at this equity contract level uh all the theater company is required to do in payment to the actors is uh travel fare so you know you might be getting $15 a week to do a show where you're putting in 40 hours a week in rehearsals. And in addition, another probably another 40 hours learning your lines and rehearsing on your own. So uh, Flux is has made the commitment to pay at least minimum wage, which believe it or not, isn't that far below the lowest level of off-Broadway contract. Uh, but they pay minimum wage and and You know, it's a it's a big burden for Flux, but they believe in equity and they believe not only in presenting theater in a way that it's accessible to all, but also honoring the uh, the work of as best as best as they can, honoring the work of the creatives and the cast. Uh, They they they're a fabulous theater company.
1: Um, and listen, you know, like minimum wage should, should obviously be the minimum. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it speaks about, you know, our field and, and this, the systems that are in place to make theater in New York City that, um, you know, Flux has been around for um, 16 years and, and we've just made the leap to be able to pay, um, artists a minimum wage, um, you know, uh, independent theater artists are, you know, are working on a hope and passion and a prayer, um, for, for most, you know, for most projects that go up, but, um, but it's something that, you know, we're glad to be able to now be able to do that, minimum, and we are committed to to continuing to work toward an actual living wage. Um,
2: yeah, And I, just a, one last little point, uh, you know, we do hope most indie theater, uh, you know, doesn't live past its initial production. We just hope we have the chance that, uh, you know, maybe colleges could put it up or things like that. And I've geared all the technical aspects of what I do, all the programming that I've done for the pedals and everything, that it can all be backed up so that if whatever, amazingly, a talented guitarist at a college wanted to be the guitarist on the show, probably a hundred times better than I am, they could download all the files to these different pedals and recreate not just the music that's being played with charts, but even the deep programming I've done with all the pedals. Uh, you know, anyway, that's it's getting a little technical. Sorry about that.
0: to shift uh, the conversation a little, uh, a little bit more focusing on all of you now. And I want to uh, just find out a little bit more about your experience in the theater. Um, and I want to start by asking, what shows in the past have inspired you or that you love? And since we've got some creators on our, on our, on our show today, I want to also ask what playwrights or composers Um, And I'm going to start with uh, Emily and Ned, uh, uh, that that question first to you. So what shows or composers or playwrights do you love or have inspired you?
2: A long time back here in New York City, uh, I sort of became an overnight sensation. It wasn't long lived because the guy who was signing me to a record deal had a massive stroke in the studio with me and died. But uh, I've had a a series of, of, uh, you know, that my background is as a recording artist with record deals and things like that. And so the composers who inspired me were originally people who weren't in theater. They were people like Randy Newman and Tom Waits and uh, Elvis Costello, people like that, singer-songwriters. And um, then when the last label I was on went out of business, that one was in Nashville in 1998, I moved back to New York with the idea of writing bigger things and getting into musicals. And, you know, then since then, it's... it's. uh, you know, they're the obvious musical theater writers like, you know, Jeannie Tesori and people like that who who I find really, really inspiring. Um, but, you know, playwrights, I mean, uh, God, plays that we've seen that I've seen that just blew me away were uh, a neat, like for example, a performance I saw of, of uh, Wit with Kathleen Chalfont And it was one of the nights where they had, uh, like they invited they had a talk afterwards because people wanted to stick around after that show and talk. And the people speaking that night, they had people from seminaries, they had oncologists from all over the United States in the audience. So seeing that performance with Kathleen Chalfant and then sitting through this amazing talk about, and they had a a, a group of women who were survivors of breast cancer who, who counsel residents on empathy. I mean, it was one of the most devastating evenings I've, in the most beautiful way possible of theater, and every in every possible meaning of the word theater, it was a group of people coming together and creating a new reality. It was beautiful.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, how about you, um, Emily?
1: Um, yeah, I'll say that I have always been inspired by ensemble creators. Um, I have loved, since I was a a baby, new New Yorker, um, loved traveling down to Philly and and seeing Pig Iron's work, um, loved seeing the work of the team. Um, And then, you know, also the artists that have kind of come out of Pig Iron's, um, you know, clown version of, of ensemble creation and, and carve their own path, you know, Jeff Sabell and, and the object lesson and home and Jennifer Kidwell, the underground railroad game. Um, there is, uh, you know, such a, um, such an energy of, boldness and um, and exuberance along with like this razor precision that is something Rebecca. that I that I have always aspired to.
0: Rebecca, how about you?
4: um most recent on the list is Emily and Ned Hartford. Um, <laughs> however um, yeah Kiara Ladri Juddez I grew up with her stuff and she, Really, really changed the game for me as an artist. Um, I think Heidi Shrek's "What the Constitution Means to Me," um, Carl Colefield as a director, especially with Classical Theater of Harlem. Um, most recently, Brian Dory's "Theater of War: The Sublance Project." Um, I think that production really emphasized who and what it's for, and prioritized that. And I think all of those artists and productions have what I'm drawn to is the radical authenticity um, and how that in turn breeds in blossoms community. Um, and yeah, and just always remembering like, who are you serving? Who is this for? Who are we inviting in this space? Um, and the sacredness of that. So those are my, my answers.
0: Fantastic. And uh, rounding it out, um, Cherie, how about you?
3: Uh, yeah, all of the, I'm like also like furiously, like kind of just like taking notes of just like, Right. right. Um, echoed on pig iron. I'm a big fan of sort of like physical, uh, physical clown sort of based work. Um, I think I, and I've said this to like almost everybody since I've seen it. Um, the adaptation of Cherry Orchard that happened at the Wilma this past uh, year, um, directed by Dmitry Krymov, I think his name is. And it was just one of the most remarkable pieces of theater I perhaps have ever seen. Um, I, in terms of, I think what directly feeds me in terms of the style of works that I like to make as a poet and sort of poet based artist. Um, I'm a huge uh, kind of descendant of the Hip Hop Theater Festival. So, um, and the New Eureka Poets Cafe. Cafe. So, your Dale Orlandersmiths, your Susan Laurie Parks, your Adrian Kennedy's um, on the poet front, your Mark Bamuti Josephs, if you like solo work, breaking work. Also comedians who are great storytellers, Neil Brennan is like, it for me. Um, Gianni Guizamo is it for me. And um, I think people who sort of reinvent storytelling and make us think about uh, things differently through the ways that they flip storytelling. So, yeah, yeah.
2: I love a good story, yes. (laughs) Can I do one quick plug here? Yes. I, I urge everybody to go to Sheree Davis's website to see the amazing short film she wrote and directed and stars in. It, it's just great. It, it's really beautiful. It takes place during the pandemic. Her performance is stellar and it's really well put together.
0: Okay. That's amazing. Well, on that topic, um have... Has anyone seen any great theater lately that they'd like to recommend? I know you all have been busy with rehearsal, but has anybody
1: seen anything lately? I can I can share while while people think um, uh, I <laughs> on a on a night off the other week I got to go see um, I'm revolting at the Atlantic, which, um, which is, which is so well done. Um, I don't know if I can say I enjoyed it because I think I was queasy the whole time, um, but that is uh, a testament to how effective um, a storytelling it was.
0: Yep, yep. Can can vouch for that. <laughs> uh, let's start uh, with Rebecca on this one. Rebecca, what is your favorite part about working in the theater?
4: Oh my goodness, um, what a question. Uh, It's honestly this sense of community and connecting with other people. Um, I think it's such a beautiful thing to have a group of people come together for an allotted amount of time, and you tell stories and share that together and without getting too hippy-dippy on it, you, you vibrate at the same consistency together, you experience it together, and I think that's so sacred and essential um so i think the connection and humanity of it is really what
3: what beats my heart in it
0: (laughs) sheree how about you
3: that was super well said back um in, in tapping into the sacred conversation that you were just mentioning um i think the thing that's always interesting about theater especially if you throw it up against like film or music or any other sort of art form that is consumed by other people. Um, I think what's beautiful and what's always sacred about theater is that it happens for that group. It is a, it is a communication with that audience for that moment and it will never happen again. (laughs) Right. That's always really exciting where there is something, there is this sacred covenant, there is this conversation that happens and, and so many times we'll say the theater, the sh- the show that you you lock that, that the show that goes into previews or the show that goes into opening, that show doesn't doesn't change anymore. It's like that show always changes because that show is always a conversation between the audience, and it will never happen again. And hmm. that's kind of the beauty of it. Um, so yeah, that's sacred agreement between the performers and the crew and the cast and all of that and the audience of having this experience and then letting it go is one of the more beautiful things I think we do as a society
1: yes
0: Emily and Ned how about you
1: I mean I couldn't say it better that's it that's the thing and there was we learned that there's no substitute for it you know when we couldn't be in a room together there you know there there was just nothing to That could replace the experience.
0: Yeah. Zoom is not the same. It's just not the same. The energy is just not there.
2: Um, For me, you know, when I was like touring as a a singer songwriter, uh, there was the thing the song I wrote, I performed it, people listened, and there was some kind of communion that could happen that was really beautiful, a really heightened reality. Well, that just goes a step further with theater. All these people working collaboratively, collaboratively. they get in a room and it's this beautiful triumvirate between the the actors, the audience, and the the written slash spoken word that creates a new reality. You talk about the Catholic church talks about transubstantiation or whatever, the bread and the blood. Well, actors, the writers, and the audience create that bread and blood every night and when it works, when it works. And uh, it's the most beautiful, thrilling thing in the world. I love, I love
0: all these answers because there's a common thread, sacredness, coven, uh, covenants, all our communions and that. It, it just goes to the heart that church or theater is like a church. It really can just lift you and give you a spiritual experience. You know, it, it theater can, it's just like the power of prayer, you know, the, the experience you have with strangers in a room and the way that that a show and a story can make, just connect and touch your heart and be exa- be exactly what you need in that exact moment. And you just didn't know it, you know, that's, oh, that's why we need theater.
2: <laughs> and organized religion sometimes is exclusionary. Theater is not exclusionary. Theater welcomes you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So my favorite question to ask, and I can't wait to hear from this group. You guys, oh, I'm so excited. This is gonna be great. Um, I'm gonna start with Ned and Emily. What is your favorite theater memory?
2: Um, you know, well, one was what I mentioned earlier that evening where I saw Wit. Um, there are two other, and I'll be very brief. The other one was, I was living in Chicago, right out of college and uh, I, uh, for a year and had nothing to do, So I got some uh, theater tickets on short notice for a a brand new theater company that had a production of True West in a little black box theater. So I walked in and sat in the front row and watched uh, John Malkovich and Gary Sinise uh, do True West with the Steppenwolf Theater Company. And I couldn't, the person I was with and I, the two of us could not talk for a half an hour after we left. Um, The other, Perform the other thing would be the recent. Oh my God, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, the 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 it the, the theater company that does the play. Uh, it was on Broadway. It was developed at Yale with. Uh, oh, indecent. Indecent.
0: <laughs> oh remember. my
2: gosh! Yes. And that's a, that's a testament to a long development process. England has support government support of the arts, and and we. They win all our, all the awards here, the, the Layman Trilogy and the production of Company that came. Those all had long, long development processes. Um, in this country, we don't get that. Well, Indecent did. It got developed a number of times over a number of years, a lot of times using the same cast and it showed. That was an amazing evening of theater. Yes, I, that the
0: image of them standing up and what I thought was sand coming out of their sleeves in the very beginning. And I was like, oh, okay, it's just sand. And then when we get to the end and I go, oh my God, that wasn't sand. And your stomach just drops out and you just, I've never heard an audience weep like that in my entire life. And I was, oh, even rereading the play, I got teary-eyed. And I was like, this is how good this piece is. The fact that I can just read it and get to oh. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> uh, Emily, how about you?
1: Um, I'll just like as a favorite memory, I guess I'll just say like uh, a time that theater changed my life is is when Ned and I met on a production
2: that we, <laughs> that we, that we that's were both true. that's true. That's,
1: yeah, that we were both oh, acting we were both actors on um and became friends. And uh, yeah, yeah, would would turn out changing my life.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's a me cute. <laughs> Can we ask what show it
1: was? It was it was another indie theater production, um, many moons ago. Um, a company that that I started out of college called Rabbit Hole Ensemble, um, with um, Edward Eltarian, and uh, it was a show by Stanton Wood that was a a Dracula adaptation called Night of Nosferatu.
0: Oh, cool. Oh, that's so, that's amazing! I love stories like that. Uh, Cherie, let's 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 find out your favorite theater memory.
3: Oh gosh, um, okay, I'm gonna go for the the easiest one I think to remember, which is probably one of my first theater memories, um, which I'll be aging myself with us. <laughs> um, I think it was, it was one of my first Broadway shows, not my first Broadway show, but one of my first, where I understood um, I was already a dancer at that point and I was a kid and I was just like, I like live things. Um, and then I saw The Lion King when it first opened on Broadway and that opening. And if anyone who has never seen The Lion King on Broadway get the to see the like it, right? But um, the opening of these gigantic, amazing animals coming down the aisle of the theater um, was deeply impactful for me, um, not just as someone who loves movement and is so excited to see movement in theater and people moving in ways that we don't see traditionally in theater, um, loves puppetry, who loves all of that sort of stuff. It was also a moment where I saw myself as a black girl on stage, a lot, the whole cast. Um, And that was really monumental to me. Um, And so, yeah, I think that that was one that jumped out to me. I went, oh, wow, yeah. You can tell stories in interesting ways and there is room for me in this space.
0: Yes, oh my gosh, yes, that is a good one too. I love that. Rebecca, bring us home. What is your favorite theater memory?
4: Oh, um, I, I think it's what I what I mentioned earlier in an earlier answer. It's What the Constitution Means to Me by Heidi Schreck. Um, I got to work as an assistant to the speech coach on that production and got to meet everyone involved, working with them. And I remember Heidi asked me a question. She's like, now is this breath support okay? And I knew she knew the answer, um, but just the kindness to go out of her way to make me feel involved or essential in that process. And then experiencing it. Um, I got to watch it on the Amazon Prime stream as well with my mother um, and then got to take her to see it. And In a play that's so centric around mother daughter relationships or how you live as you know someone with a uterus in this country. um, I think it allowed me ways to connect and heal with my mom in ways that I never would have imagined would come from theater um, on a like Broadway stage that that could be the conversation. Um, And it was a really beautiful moment that I'm grateful got to deepen my relationships with my family.
0: That was an incredible show and another, just like your guys' show, another timely and important show, so.
2: Could I add one one more thing? Oh, please do. One of my favorite theater experiences of my life is getting to work in a room with Emily directing and these two women singing my songs. Uh, Beck said the other night that their voices were like honey and smoke and that was so apt. Their voices are stellar and you know, If you don't wanna come see a play about climate change, that's fine. Come hear these two people sing. They are amazing. Oh yeah, I love that. Well, wrapping
0: things up, are there any other productions or projects that you all have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? (laughs)
3: Um, I'll take a moment to plug uh, my production company, A Certain Something Productions, that does film and theater. We actually just uh, did a, production of my solo show at Little Island this past summer and we will now be moving into a film or a cinema film project of my solo show How to Mourn an American which is coming top of next year. It's
1: so good um, and I'll say Flux has um, an interactive audio project that folks can also check out. Um, if you go to our website and look for Our Options Have Changed, you can get the secret phone number for free. And there are many hours of, um, of interactive experience to explore.
0: That sounds cool. It's
1: very cool. Well, if our listeners want more information about
0: um, Metra... Or about Flux Theater Ensemble, or even about you guys. How can they get that? How can they reach out to you?
1: Yeah, please check out fluxtheater.org, flux, F L U X, and theater with an R E.org. Um, and you'll find out about Metra, and you'll find out about our options have changed. Um, and we really hope you'll come see us.
0: Uh, Sheree, how about you? Is there any uh, way to get a hold of you or follow you or anything?
3: For sure, for sure. Uh, you can follow my website, which is shereejdavis.com. Or you can find me on Instagram, you know, like all the like all the rest of us. <laughs> um, and my handle is sheree is Fuerza J. So Fuerza is in force, strong, Fuerza J.
0: And then Rebecca. Hi.
4: Um, yeah, you can
3: find me through my website, which
4: is Rebecca Ana Peña. Um, Anna spelled A-N-A, and then Instagram handle is almost the exact same. It's Rebecca underscore Ana A-N-A.
0: Well, wonderful, everyone. Thank you so much for making the time for joining me today and talking about not only this amazing show, but your amazing experiences in the theater. Uh, Really, your amazing experiences in the theater. Y'all need to get together and write a book. I'm just saying, because this has been incredible. Emily, Ned, Sheree, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you. Thank Andrew. you so much. Thank you. Thank you for doing the podcast,
3: period. For having us. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you. My guests today have been the co-writers of Metra, A Climate Revolution Play With Songs, Emily and Ned Hartford, as well as cast members Cherie Davis and Rebecca Pena. And Metra, a climate revolution play with songs, which is being presented by Flux Theater Ensemble, is playing October 28th through November 12th at the Abrams Arts Center. You can get tickets and more information by visiting www.fluxtheater.org. And uh, while you're there, check out all their fun things, including... Um, this interactive audio project. Um, I know I'm going to go check that out. That sounds amazing. You can also follow the two cast members, Cherie uh, and Rebecca, uh, both at their websites, CherieJDavis.com or on Instagram at CherieForceJ uh, and Rebecca at RebeccaAnnaPena.com uh, or on Instagram at Rebecca underscore Anna. And we will have all of that information in our uh, episode description as well as on our social media. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez, reminding you to turn off your cell phones,
3: unwrap your candies and keep your masks on and keep talking
2: about the theater
3: in a stage whisper.
2: Thank you.
1: If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at StageWhisperPod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories
4: at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray.